0: Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paola has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide Living with Loss Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon.
1: welcome to my podcast my youtube channel i'm glad you're here today i have a guest called kelly wolf she's an author and we were actually talking about this i mean how much fun it is to say i'm an author and how proud we feel of our books yeah she's talking from colorado the mountains of colorado Mm -hmm. i'm very glad she's here the focus of our conversation will be to talk about couples who go through the loss of a child Mm -hmm. by suicide, which is, I mean, losing a child is hard enough. It's painful enough, but suicide adds, and this is something that we cover on the podcast all the time, just adds these extra layers of shame and guilt and the stigma associated with it. And this, and her, Journey was really, really hard because we talked a little bit before we recorded. I usually do that with my guests just to make sure that uh, it will be beneficial to my audience because that's why we do this. But Kelly, I'm so grateful you're here. She is an author. She just published her book and she actually talks about Chris. That's the child that they lost to suicide. And, she, and he is part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. mm-hmm yes hi Paula hi hi Kelly good (laughs) to see you again (laughs) and you as well I'm glad Um, to be here yeah we will talk about the book at the end for those who are interested I mean he's part of the story but I really want I was really touched by your story of surviving a marriage the marriage surviving what was so hard to go through and from what I remember you and your husband Steve you Mm -hmm. were on such different paths that and that was like an extra extra layer of of challenge there right so Kelly first of all tell me how you are doing how is (laughs) it how was your day how was your week how are you feeling being here with us and talking about Chris
0: you know, I'm always honored to talk about CRISP. Not everybody wants to, as you know, and your audience knows that sometimes your community um, and your colleagues and even distant family members don't really bring up the person that you lost. They don't quite know what to say and they're afraid you're going to hurt mm-hmm. if they talk about it. And so I'm in the middle of a book tour and Uh, So I'm excited about that sort of fresh, creative opportunity, but anytime I get to stop and talk about Chris, it's an honor and a blessing to me. So I thank you for that. And you're right, um, not all couples experience this kind of divided response to this loss, Um, but I think that my story might provide some hope on the other end of it, even when you are on two different planets as you sort of implied. But yeah, I'm glad to be here. And I have mixed feelings of excitement, but also just um, a sober spirit that gets to speak honestly and authentically about our loss. So thank you for asking.
1: Yeah, it's never easy, is it? I mean, even though you know the importance of it and how much you reach people and you help, and that's the (laughs) whole point why we're here, I remember when we talked and you were telling me your story, we actually didn't know. I mean, what were we talking about? Because I already had parents here talk about the loss of a child. And Mm -hmm. once you started telling me the story of the the healing story of you and your husband, and so many parents go through that and they feel so alone, even within the marriage, they feel alone with their pain. And that's kind of what happened to you. Uh, yeah. You were trying to go one direction. He was, you were kind of going out. It seems like to me, you're kind of getting out of that pain, trying to heal yourself. And he was kind of bringing it in and keeping it inside and, right. and, and, and not going through very healthy avenues in terms of healing. And that mm-hmm. was really, really tough on you and your, and your family. And that's okay. We're not saying this is the right way or the wrong way. We mm-hmm. know how grief goes. So what we decided to do was let's help couples, those mm-hmm. who are listening and who may be struggling and feeling so distant from their partners. Let's help them bring bring them together. So that's what I'll,
0: I'll do my best. And I really <laughs> applaud what you're doing. I think the therapeutic, psychological, emotional, um, Ramifications of a conversation like this are really, really powerful, and I'm privileged to be a part of it.
1: Thank you, thank you. So let's talk about Chris first. Tell me a little yeah. bit about him. <laughs>
0: My husband and I have been married 35 years and we have three natural born children and we adopted two teenagers. And Chris was one of those that we adopted. He moved into our house at 14 and we adopted him at 15. And of course, his story didn't begin there. He had a life, a full life before we got him in foster care. And he was found in Wichita um, at three years old drunk and naked and his feet were all oh. cut up and he was put into foster care and a lot of unfortunate things happened to him in foster care for those nine years mm-hmm. and very unfair amount of traumatic experiences so he came to us with some some emotional trauma PTSD baggage right and so he we adopted him at age 15 and he went through high school relatively successfully he got a football scholarship. And after one semester, uh, he couldn't quite handle the freedom that college afforded and realized he was making some bad choices. So he joined the army and he did really good in the army until again, he began to have money and free time. And that's when he began to really actively run from his PTSD traumas that he had as a child and was started using drugs and alcohol he did that for years. He was in and out of rehab, in and out of jail, in and out of hospitals with overdoses. And it was really, really hard as his parents to watch the person that you love fight this demon that we can't fight for him. And so sadly, um, you have to say no to your addicted child when they ask for favors or money and we're encouraging, we're supportive. Um, For someone who can't handle the freedom of money, we had to say no a lot. And so he was doing pretty well. He was at another halfway house. He was six weeks sober, age 24. And we told him, this is the summer, July of 2020. We told him, if you can remain sober until Christmas, we'll bring you out to Colorado. You can stay with us and live with us and we'll be your support system. But we need a little success under your belt first. And we think this halfway house is the place for it. So he was doing well there with the promise of reuniting as a family This is the summer of 2020, so COVID was Mm. uh, very, very serious. Schools had shut down. Black Lives Matter protests were going on. Just to give you a picture of what was happening that summer, my husband is a superintendent of schools, and that means that in July, they were already trying to figure out if they were going to have classrooms and schedules. And he had to work out hybrid and Zoom and systems in place to quarantine and air purifiers in the classrooms and uh, masks no masks the whole debate Mm. one day the sheriff walked in and notified them that they found our son that um, he had ended his life in an alley in Wichita and that it took three days for them to identify him but Mm. they know for a fact that he had taken his life because there was security video footage of it. Mm -hmm. And so we drove back to Kansas and picked up the remains of our son and brought him home. And that's not how we wanted to bring him back to Colorado, but it is how it happened. And so this is what happened next. I laid down on the bed or the couch and didn't move and tried very, very hard not to feel anything. I thought maybe I could sleep through this pain. My husband Mm -hmm. had to go to work exactly the same day. he, 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 as soon as we got back, he still had entire plans and systems and trainings to go through. He had no time to grieve whatsoever. And so he began to drink whiskey and that was unusual for him. And it scared me, but I was on the couch trying not to feel, so I wasn't paying any attention. Six weeks later, I get a phone call from a game show. Ellen DeGeneres had a game show called Game of Games. And I had two years prior auditioned for this game show and completely forgot about it. COVID had happened and I had retired and moved out of state. And I had uh, sent an audition tape. My students at my old school, I was uh, director of a program at a high school. They helped me create this audition tape. And I got this call and they said we would really like to consider you for this game show would you mind talking to our producers in the casting department well i'm on the couch i can't even shower i don't even i don't even know how i'm going to be on tv and be a cheerleader and have joy and express myself authentically and so long story short i took advantage of it and so six weeks after uh, Chris passed away. I am flying to Los Angeles. And I, uh, they, we were the very first TV production going on at the Warner Brothers set in Los Angeles. And so they were very serious. They were full hazmat like the booties and the gown and the visor and the mask and the caps and all of the contestants were isolated there was no audience and so I was quarantined in my room for six days and so I sat there for six days going I've got to figure out what to do because when I was laying on the couch from the outside looking in it may have looked like morning but I actually wasn't dealing with anything. Steve was drinking to avoid his feelings. I was doing the exact same thing, just trying to sit really still. So I made an intentional choice in that hotel room to look pain right in the face and invite all my memories in because that was going to force me to mourn and it was going to force me to have joy at the same time. And so I meditated and I prayed and I slept and I tried to eat and I practiced talking and um, I journaled and really leaned hard into Mm. my mourning. And what came of that was I began to have this kind of sacred imagination of Chris being with me. Chris was my most celebratory, my most enthusiastic, my biggest hype man for anything. And he would be thrilled to death that I was doing this. So I just imagined him kind of around me and being excited for me and being my cheerleader. And so long story short, I won the game. And at the very end of the week, they only have a handful of winners left. The hotel's completely empty. And I won $75,000. And I was able to express myself authentically playful and happy Mm -hmm. because I imagined Chris there with me.
1: So that helped you kind of bring yourself, can I just go back a little bit? Yes, of course. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just listening to you and just looking for the, the signs, like the early signs of the divide, right? Between you and your husband. Yeah. In the beginning, in the beginning, you were kind of together. Both of you were trying to not feel right. Mm Self-medication with, for him, it was alcohol for you. It was just staying still, right? You you just stood there and it was kind of numbing for you. So no, this is not happening, kind of a denial phase. And then comes this show, right? Which is very hard uh, because I mean, who plays after their kid dies? I know.
0: It really forced me to Mm -hmm. face this because I knew that if I tried to fake it, it, it it would be obvious to everyone who knew me, and probably the strangers too. And so it forced me to, to face look. Yes, and yeah, so yeah, but
1: but I'm I'm also thinking about. The fact, I mean, from the outside, were people okay with you going out, leave, like leave, "quote unquote," leaving your family behind at the time when you guys maybe? And I'm just talking about all these societal expectations and and of yeah. course. Preconceptions that have no base in reality, really, because we all grieve right. differently. But uh, I did that right. was that maybe the beginning of the conflict? I mean, was your husband, for example, okay with you living?
0: Yeah, he completely was because then he could concentrate completely on his work and not have to check on or babysit okay. me. And after, you know, after Chris's death, we were pretty isolated. Um, we didn't have a funeral right away because we I have children on other parts of the United States. And so we were going to have a memorial service at Christmas time. And so his urn was on our table and school was about to start. This is now August and, um, no, he was fine. I was gone and nobody knew I was really leaving except for my uh, children and my parents. Mm -hmm. It didn't air until the next year. And so Mm -hmm. people really didn't catch that this was happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. So after the win, the sort of limo driver is taking me back to the hotel room. And I am trying to get a hold of Steve quickly, right? Because I have this news. Not only was I able to play authentically, but I also won. Where are you? I want to tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't answering me. And I was getting really frustrated. And I kept saying, look, I want to tell our kids and everybody, but I want to tell you first, so please respond. And I got a very short email or text message that says, I'll be with you in just a second. I'm, I'm almost ready, right? And it wasn't until the next day that I realized he was in trouble. At the exact same moment that I was on stage, playing and winning, um, he was in an accident and he had a DUI and he was arrested. And all of that was going on at the exact same moment, which is why he couldn't reach me. And so you can't be a superintendent of schools and this be a secret. Um, He was on the front page of newspaper. Uh, superintendent arrested for DUI, suspended from job. It was in the Denver news, on TV, on Colorado wow. Springs news. It was yeah. a lot. And so I came home higher than high, right? Because it's not that I was healed, it was that I had hope again and that I thought, okay, I can link arms with my family and breathe life into their lungs. And I realize now that I can be a catalyst for healing when I got home but when I got home and realized he wasn't in the place to receive it and in fact he was in really big trouble um, I kind of got the wind knocked out of me again and I was resentful that I had this I worked really hard on getting to this place and now I now we're dealing with this very public very embarrassing uh, very shame-filled experience And so now we really are in a fork in a road and I'm going left and he's going right. And I don't know how to reconnect again because I was experiencing something completely different than him. And he was so in his shame and so embarrassed and so full of um, embarrassed. The irony that our son who was addicted um, and then him becoming someone who is dependent on alcohol. Of course, he stopped drinking immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, the court system was able to offer him a diversion, which is a long process. It's about a year-long process that included counseling. Now, I realized that I was resentful to him for kind of robbing me of the work that I had done. And when I got that money, that $75,000, I told Ellen DeGeneres that I was going to put it down as a down payment on our house. And I didn't want to do that anymore because our house was a mess, right? Our house was falling apart at the foundations and I wanted it to be mine. I didn't, I I earned that through my healing. I felt like it's resentment, of course, but so I bought a tombstone for our son and I bought myself a little used car and then I gave the rest of it away. And it didn't make any sense at the time. But again, it's very indicative of the two places that we were, right? I didn't even take into consideration that that money might be helpful in some other ways, including paying for his attorney and his court costs and stuff. I just didn't want to do it. But I acknowledge just between you and me and your audience. (laughs) And your audience. (laughs) Yeah, that it came from a genuine place of, of, Mm -hmm. of gratitude, but also resentment. Mm -hmm. because we were not together Mm -hmm. so we had to really begin to create a place where we we either were going to have to let this house crumble to the ground metaphorically or we're going to have to be intentional about it and so we created a plan and it was awkward and it was uncomfortable and it wasn't at all easily to agree upon but we kind of have a four-step plan for this
1: Can I just interrupt a little bit because of course, uh, yeah, I know, I know what you want to tell the the story, but I just want to know, okay, so you come back. I'm going back Mm -hmm. again. (laughs)
0: That's okay. You take me wherever you you want to go.
1: (laughs) You come back. And as you said, your house was, it was, it was interesting to me, the choice of words that you had, your house was crumbling. So you didn't want to invest the money that came from such a joyful experience into mm-hmm, something that mm-hmm. was being destroyed, right? Yeah. But at the same time, said. yeah. And I was, but at the same time, when you said that, it, the way it landed on me was, but it was crumbling for a while. Maybe you just couldn't see it.
0: Maybe. Maybe, I mean, it's hard to remember my life before Chris's loss in some ways, right? It feels like a million years ago, even though it was only two years ago. And so I was uh, very comfortable in my uh, quote unquote retirement, right? I was writing a book. I was learning how to play guitar. My parents lived with us. And so I felt very secure in my life. And so when I came back home and the foundation had cracked, right? I no longer feel secure then crumbling becomes the word that I, and you're right. I didn't like my money. Isn't going to fix a crumbling, you know, home, um, just to play the metaphor further. And so, I, I forget that you have skills of observation and <laughs> and, that, and that you probably can see my physical sort of um, and uh, word choice about stuff. And so yeah, I'm always intrigued when people stop me and go, hey, did you notice that you kind of did this? So?
1: No, because I'm just, uh, and, and I'm not even going back uh, before Chris died. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about how painful and how, how your husband was grieving. And it seems like you were, you were very distant at that point. You made, you made, you made a decision to go to do this game. And, but you are not talking about this. You were not together in the grief. You were not holding holding hands. And maybe we, we do weird things. Our minds are crazy. Maybe that was his way of shaking the house and saying, you know what, Kelly, it's not just you look at me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, is it was painful to look at each other in our pain, right? Mm -hmm. It it was painful for me to see him drinking and it was painful for him to see me on the couch being, trying to sleep through this all. Right. And so it was probably a relief to get me out of the house, to be honest. And so, Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. It was crumbling before I returned.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it's a very hard place to come back to for sure. So when oh. was was there like a moment when you when you came back? Of course, I'm sure you were angry as can be, right? Resentful. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure. But when was the moment when you guys sat down and said, "Okay, we have to make a choice now. Are we going? You know, we're going to." separate are we going to work on this are you going do i have your i'm sure for him in his mind was like do i have your support through this because he lost his job right 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 here is a man who lost his job and we know what a job means to a man right
0: right and very publicly very
1: publicly so i'm sure he was going through hell and i'm sure he was wondering do i still have have her To support me through this. So when was was the moment when you had that conversation?
0: Um, You know, it came from a really ugly place. I was saying really hurtful and harmful things to him and it was full of blame and full of shame and you're your audience and you already know that when you lose someone to suicide you're already in this weird mind trap of what if what ifs and should haves and i i could have done something you're already in that place and so i knew the moment i began to hurl really ugly words at him that uh, we've got to change course or this is going to end up
1: Falling apart.
0: Right. And so, and he was so full of shame about it that he just took it. You know, he just looked down and took everything that I said. And when I realized that I didn't like myself right then, and I certainly wasn't giving him a place to heal, um, we better come up with a plan. And it was kind of at that moment when I realized, actually, I want to save this and I want to do better. And so, he was so compliant and so like, tell me what to do to fix this kind of yeah. um, thing. That I came up with the plan, and he's like, "Okay, uh uh-huh, let's do that."
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's good. It's good that there yeah. was, one of you could do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it came from I did. It, am I becoming this person that is saying these really awful things to the person I love? And that's when I realized, okay, I actually don't want to be that person, and I actually want to save this relationship. So that was the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful to, to hear you talk about this because these are two adults. One is saying, I don't want to be this person who is resentful, who brings hatred into the marriage and mm-hmm. no understanding, no love or compassion, especially in a time like this. And the other one is mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to be the drunk. I don't want to be the right. drinks through problems. Right. Right. So you both were kind of begging each other to help and give me a path. And and thankfully, you you found the path. And what was that path? And let's go into the second part of how can we help couples who are going through this? What helped? (laughs) Do you have a friend or a loved one who struggles with suicidal thoughts, ideation, or even previous attempts? If you do, I have some information for you. I know that the situation is scary and many times we want to do the best we can to help, but we don't know how. Over the course of my 15 years working in this field, I have learned how to address these issues, and that's what I want to share with you. And for that, I have just created an online course that will guide you step-by-step on how to sit down and have this difficult conversation. The course is called How to Help Suicidal People, and I purposely took a very straightforward approach so that when you finish, you will feel prepared to take action in a safe, non judgmental, and compassionate way. You will learn about the mental state of a suicidal person, how it impacts the way they view their personal crisis, how to bring hope into the conversation how to prepare yourself to listen to them, especially when they talk about their emotional pain, how to create a safety plan, how to assess their risk level, and much, much more. The course comes in six modules and it's all videos with very simple language and reading materials for quick reference. If you think that this course is for you, click on the link on my notes or go to my website understandsuicide.com and click on the course tab. There you can also watch a free sample and have more information about the course. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So this is going to look different from everybody for everybody, of course. You know, we had to sort of almost immediately decide that we've got to have a safe, sacred space to be able to speak authentically and honestly with each other about what we're experiencing without hurting each other and without blaming and shaming. And so, first of all, we had to create arena rules, right? Rules where we know that, okay, I'm not going to go there. And I want rules about who gets to speak and that it's safe to express whatever you want, as long as it's not hurtful. So it started there. Then it became, um, we're both faith-based people, right? We have um, a relationship with God. And so it was also like, we can't do this without our divine source helping us through this. And so um, I leaned heavily into my faith and he leaned into his faith, which is the shared faith. Um, But we kind of intentionally decided that on our own, we've got to come from a place that's bigger than us and bigger than what's going on in our hearts and minds and be able to look at the big picture and find some hope again. So it started with creating a safe space. It's, then it became uh, leaning into our faith individually, not together. And then we had, then therapy became a big piece of this. We went to therapy separately. And while he was mandated to go to therapy for part mm-hmm. of his diversion, mm-hmm. we started before then. So he began um, counseling therapy sessions on his own mm-hmm. and I began on my own. And that was another way to express ourselves in a safe space and really sort of process everything we're going through and then come together and try and have a discussion from a place mm. of awareness. Right. And uh, we did that for months and months and months. And we began to soften our hearts, began to soften again towards each mm. other. And lastly, then we needed to, you know, Steve needed a job and we really wanted to stay in the community um, because we have family here. And so we created a nonprofit in which we provide healing and love and support to teachers. And it's called Wild Heart Teacher. And we hold retreats for teachers in the summer to rejuvenate and energize them. And so we found a goal for ourselves that was outside of Chris, outside of Ellen, outside of anything associated Mm -hmm. with the loss of Chris, that we could kind of, again, link arms and focus on something we both felt passionate about. Yeah. So that was, that was sort of our path. And it's not uh-uh. to see that it's perfect or that we don't still have challenges, but we're actually richer on the other side of this mess than we were before we lost Chris. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you choose to be, um, self-aware and, uh, emotionally intentional and giving grace and space for the other person, uh, of course your relationship heals oh, and becomes stronger. Yeah. And so it, it had to get really bad before it got good, but it was intentional. I think that I could have very, very easily ended up on the couch again, and he could have found some other coping mechanism. So, yeah. um, I'm proud of us actually, Again, it feels like a decade has gone by, but it's only been No,
1: it's very two years. current, right? Very, very new. So let me go back again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very curious about the, as a therapist, I'm very curious yeah. about the double therapy. And yeah. okay, I'm just going to, from what I understand, so the first thing to do was to set, kind of set boundaries and find a safe places. This is where we're going to talk about this. These are some mm-hmm. ground rules. Can we talk about the ground rules? first? Sure. And sure. Continue from there. What were the yeah. ground rules?
0: They were simple because they were prior to therapy beginning, but it, basically because the catalyst for this intentional choice was me speaking really ugly, hateful uh, mm-hmm. things to him. I had to almost, these rules were almost more or for me than for him. It was, it was me saying, okay, I don't like what I just did there. I don't like what I said to you. And I certainly don't like the way I feel about it. And I don't think you liked receiving that. So I, the rule now from now on is, is that if someone has an emotion to express, they have to do it in a way that isn't harmful or painful At least intentionally harassing the other person, and the other person gets to respond freely and without interruption. So that that was the the first two rules, and that was mostly for me to keep me from turning into the Tasmanian devil, you know. So
1: (laughs) Tasmanian (laughs) devil. It's 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 cool that you you say this because this is actually one of the uh, one of the techniques that I I don't do couples therapy, but I I get of course patients who come to me and they have some problems in the relationship. And that's one of the things that I, I usually kind of teach them quote unquote, but is to have this, uh, you know, safe place, but have actually time put aside, okay, every Tuesday, during this conflict that we're going through, we're going to talk. And here mm-hmm. are the rules. First, I talk mm-hmm. in a respectful way, as you said. Mm-hmm. There has mm-hmm. to be respect. But I'm going to talk for like five minutes and you just listen. No interruptions. And then right. the other one has the right to do the same. And you right. only listen. Because many times it's just we interrupt so much, which means we're not listening. So Mm -hmm. if that's one of the ground rules, right? Okay. I'm going to talk for five minutes. Five minutes is a lot. Try talking for five minutes. It's a lot. (laughs) The other one will have to listen and try to be, as you said, intentional and really Mm -hmm. pay attention. Pay attention to your body, how you are reacting to it, and then you give that response. So it, it's a really very simple technique, but it does allow uh, conversation and authenticity to play a role. So that was the first. One. Those are the, yeah. the like the ground rules, and then you went yes. to therapy, and I'm very curious about this. So yes. you're doing it in not as a couple, not couples therapy. Mm-hmm. You're doing it individually. Mm-hmm. Would you would you also come back from some of the sessions? And talk about what you went through during the
0: session. Not regularly, no. no. Okay. And so um, it was—it was sort of a way for both of us to express ourselves freely, since mm-hmm. we had created these rules, right? And that we needed to be respectful. But let's say in my therapy session, I needed to vent and grind <laughs> my teeth and shake my fist. All the things you couldn't say to him, you would say to the therapist. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly what I could go full Tasmanian on my
1: Yeah, yeah. They'll just go, Yeah, 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 whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But also I you know, I love I'm I'm a big advocate of therapy anyway. And so I've had a thousand years of it in my Mm. lifetime. And so I believe a wonderful way to process and grow, process and grow. And that it isn't just a sounding board for emotions, but it actually is a way to take an emotion, process it and flip it into a place of growth. Mm -hmm, And so I think that uh, both of us had two different reasons and trauma for expressing ourselves independently. Mm -hmm. And so for that, it worked, and there were times when I'm like, "How'd your session go? Do you want to talk about it?" And he's like, "Not really." And I'm like, "I don't either." So, <laughs> <I better not>. <laughs> <laughs> so for that, for us, it worked. Yeah, it just did. Yeah,
1: yeah it does. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm very biased. <laughs> I can't really say. Of I'm course. Glad you, I'm glad you said it all because yeah. coming from me, it's it lands in uh, differently. So okay, so the first part was let's talk about this respectfully. These are the ground mm-hmm. rules. and then mm-hmm. you did the therapy apart but kind of together because the intention was kind of the drive the same driving force was there right and
0: right. then the
1: third part was let's <clears throat> find purpose let's find well there was there. another
0: one in there okay. there was another one and it was that faith-based piece oh the and so, faith. yes right sure. just to take us out of our head and of yeah. sort of get a bigger picture Picture. of the circumstances Mm -hmm. and sort of find hope. That's where I found hope there actually too. So yeah. yeah. And then the last fourth thing was a mutual project we could do together. Um, A purpose, exactly. And it didn't have anything to do with Chris or Mm -hmm. losing the job or anything. It was like, Mm -hmm. wow, I really love doing this. And he was like, me too. So it was uh, a nice sort of way to, again, redirect that energy, that fresh sort of perspective and pour it into something that we were partners again in. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, I have to apologize for my blind spot, the faith part. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) that's all my, right my listeners know that i'm not a faith person i don't have any uh i don't follow any religion so that i, I just kind of automatically erase that part so sorry about yeah, that it's okay <laughs> it's okay but i'm um, again i'm just thinking about your path here and how you guys it's beautiful really to to look at Thank it you. from the outside because you you first had to kind of clean the ground a little bit let's clean the ground mm-hmm. let's let's mm-hmm. undo what we are doing let's mm-hmm. break that pattern and and start something new but then you had to deconstruct mm-hmm. yourselves yeah. and go through that internal process so that you could build something out of it with the help mm-hmm. of your faith right mm-hmm. as yeah. a foundational um yeah force that's beautiful. yeah thank now you for it it is
0: yeah thank you for saying it's beautiful because i'm actually really proud of us and mm-hmm. i think our story is unique but not unique I believe because survivors of suicide, well, actually the the person who took their own life felt really isolated generally at the moment that they did that. And then the family becomes very isolated because the general public friends, faith community, everybody doesn't really know what to say and they're afraid to broach the subject. So you're sitting in isolation again. And so telling your story no matter what it looks like, no matter the ugly parts and the mm-hmm. good parts, I think is a really good way to connect people who are still sitting in that isolation of mourning and yeah. and not quite sure what the next step is. And so, I'm privileged to share my story, even though it's embarrassing in some parts. But I think there's value in it. And
1: all the good I, stories, are
0: embarrassing. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for saying it was beautiful.
1: <laughs> it is looking from the, of course, I mean, I'm looking from out and, and I'm sure it, it didn't look beautiful or, or feel beautiful to you and no. still doesn't because again, it's still very current. And I'm glad yeah. you bring you bring in Chris too, in terms of kind of highlighting what he was going through. I mean, I had Mm -hmm. an interview, it was like two interviews ago with Linda Morrison. For those who are listening, you can Mm -hmm. go back and listen to that because in the beginning, you were talking about the addiction part and that was our focus then and Mm -hmm. how isolated the family feels. But also, and mainly, that's one of the things that I did because she also wrote a book and Mm -hmm. it was mainly about this uh, experience of losing uh, her son and in many parts of the books, there are things that he used to write when he was in so much pain. And he yeah. talks about how isolated and how alone he felt with that pain, right? Yeah. So I'm glad you bring that up because it's very important for you. Who wants, yeah. If you want for your listening and you want to understand more from their point of view, because there, there is this myth and this misconception of people who die by suicide, that they're such cowards, or that they're so selfish, and it's nothing. That that, that is not it. So if you right. have that image in your head and that idea, please erase it and and just replace it with more compassion. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, it's it's they go through hell. They're going mm-hmm. through a lot of pain, and it's just easy for us to judge. So yeah. Thank you for for saying that. I mean, there is isolation. And and again, unfortunately, so the family goes through that after the loss too.
0: And as a person who has been in faith communities my whole life, there is a a false set of of rules out there that says that anyone who takes their life doesn't get to go to heaven. And that is a heartbreaking thing to say. I don't know who made up that rule. It's not in the It's Bible. not written I anywhere. Know. I know because I have no. an interview about
1: that. It's not
0: anywhere. <laughs> Of course it isn't. And so it is a cruel thing. And I had an 83-year-old woman say to my face when I told her that I lost Chris. She said, well, that's too bad. He's not going to be in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I forgave her immediately because I knew it came from a place of ignorance. But I told her, I don't believe that. I, I know for a fact where he is, and because I'm a person of faith, and I have a, an idea of what's going to happen after I pass, or at least a knowing in my mm-hmm. gut that mm-hmm. I'm going to see him again. I reject that statement, and I don't I'm believe it. I'm glad you stood
1: up for yourself. Yeah,
0: I did, and it felt good. And she knew better than to argue with me, but I, I I'm going to bring this around to my book, if you don't mind. End of my I'm I wrote a fiction book, right, mm-hmm. and fiction book is my love letter to the lgbtq plus community i am uh, an advocate and ally and a member of that community and so i felt really strongly that faith and religion christianity specifically have been used to marginalize and discriminate against this group of people in particular and so i wanted to entertain the idea of what if Jesus himself were able to come down and go look I don't have a problem with people being gay at all and in Mm -hmm. fact it doesn't matter
1: or asexual or whatever whatever they want to be
0: all of the labels right Mm -hmm. and then I don't care how you decorate your locker I care how you walk with me in the hallways kind of premise so that was the premise of my book and Pardon me. So the book is divided into two plot lines. One is a murder investigation of a young gay man, and the other plot line is this young gay man after he passed is having a conversation with Jesus in Mount Hope Mm -hmm. Cemetery. And during that conversation, Jesus just pours love and validation into this community. But at the end of the book, not only is the crime solved, uh, but Jesus and the young victim then are going to enter into heaven. Their mission is done. They got this message out, right? Mm -hmm. And in the heaven scene, there is a crowd of people before them and my Chris is in there. My Chris was African-American, beautiful, beautiful young man with a big giant smile. And he was the caretaker of the dog of the victim. And so Mm -hmm. the victim's like, who is that person? And why is my dog around him? And Jesus says, oh, that's Chris. He was the caretaker of your dog while he was waiting for you to get here. And it's this simple little tiny scene that was completely cathartic to me to put him there. And hope is, So defiant that I not only wanted to pour hope and healing into this uh, marginalized community, but I also wanted to speak to the fact that that woman said to me, your son is not in heaven because of the desperate choice he made. And I'm like, I don't believe that. And I wrote him in that heaven (laughs) seat. he's healed <laughs> yeah healed and whole and young and not lost anymore and that is a defiant form of hope i don't i read there's so many gatekeepers for the lgbtq plus community and the same people who would reject them in the church are the same people who would have rejected my son into heaven because of his choice of desperation mm-hmm. and so my book at the end sort of nods to those yeah. two forms of hope yeah. and i It was healing for me to write it. When I picked my book back up again, because when I was in crisis, not Mm -hmm. only mourning the loss of my child, but my marriage, all creativity was gone. I couldn't write. I couldn't play the guitar. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go for walks or even eat healthy. I just wasn't taking care of myself. And when I was on the other side of it and could engage in writing again, I wanted to use that creative energy to honor Chris. And I think that might be number five of my list of healing things to do is to, because lots of people have creative outlets of singing or uh, Mm -hmm. writing poetry or quilting or gardening, maybe Doing something for the one they lost is a part of their healing, pouring your creative energy into that once you get it back. So that may be number five of my list of healing things to do for Mm -hmm. Kelly and i am really really proud i actually wrote a blog post about um who is chris on page 356 right because he wasn't a character in the book and all of a he sudden jesus is name
1: <laughs> yeah. a yeah jesus knows him <laughs> exactly
0: knows him by name and so i'm like no i wrote a blog post about it and said this is my son and this yeah. is why i put him in my book so um
1: i can think of anything more beautiful in terms of life's mission than to take care of dogs when they're waiting right? in heaven. It's beautiful. It's just I know perfect way of honoring your son.
0: Yeah. So
1: to end Kelly, what is the name of the book? I'm going to have a link for those Thank who are you. interested. So just go to my notes and I'll have the link there. I'll have the link to her website as well. Super. And for those of us, those of you who maybe need to talk to someone about this, or maybe the teachers who want to be involved with uh, in this this beautiful work that they do together now, because we know how hard it has been for teachers lately. Mm-hmm. I'll have that website too. So thank
0: you. So let me tell you where to find it. So I do have a website called kellywolf.com, which is obviously my name. And that is where my blog posts are. The book will be linked to Amazon um, newsletter. Um, I also have pictures of the characters and a song list. And so kind of all things about my book. My book is called Mount Hope. It is going to be launched on Tuesday, June 21st. And you can find it you can go through my website, but you can go straight to Amazon and you can find the hardcover, the soft cover and the Kindle version available. Mm -hmm. And I'd be very honored to talk to anybody in your audience who just wants to sort of link arms in your healing. And I know you feel isolated sometimes. And so I'll I'll link arms with you and, and stand beside you. So communicate with me any way you want. And I'm on all social media too.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be launched actually in a few days. So by the time this interview yeah. is published, it will be there. So I'll have the link to Amazon and all of that. Okay. Super. Super. Kelly, thank you so much for your thank words you, of wisdom and sharing your story with us. I'm sure thank you for allowing to me so to. So many people. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Good day to you. You too. You've been listening to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paula Fontanelli. If you've been touched by suicide and believe your story might help others, please consider contacting Paula through her website,
1: understandsuicide.com.